You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Glasgow. I'm Uzma and I'll be your host for the next hour. And we're going to have a, a quick chat about, not quick, well, an hour chat about um, the importance of Quran in Islam. We have a series of questions, um, you know, sajda, you know, wadu, should we touch the ground if, you know, women are menstruating, whatever it may be, there is a lot of questions that uh, we can pose to our special guest. It's Sheikh Soheb Said. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullah. Well, my name is Soheb Said um, from Glasgow, a graduate of Al Azhar University. Mm-hmm. And uh, I focus mostly on issues related to the Quran and understanding the Quran. Um, so that is uh, what, inshallah, I'm hoping that we can take some questions on today. Definitely. And obviously, we'll start the conversation. Um, we'll have a series of questions, get into a bit of a discussion. But if callers out there have any com- uh, questions at all, do give us a call in. Don't be shy. How did you get your Sheikh title, as you want to say? Oh, well, it's not it's not really a formal title, but anyway, yeah. I uh, did my degree at Al Azhar University in mm-hmm. Egypt, mm-hmm. and that was um, I was there from about two thousand and seven eight until two thousand and thirteen, and since then I've been doing my PhD, which I'm currently finishing off. That's at SOAS in University of London. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I am focusing on uh, aspects of uh, methods of Quran interpretation. Uh, specifically, I'm interested in how the Quran is used to interpret the Quran. So, how some verses relate to others, and and how we understand the Quran holistically, and the methods and the you know specific aspects of how that is done. Uh, and I'm doing that as a kind of um, academic research, so it fits in within um, the kind of thing that universities are interested in. But at the same time, uh, I'm interested in how that can be useful to to Muslims, to believers um, in any part of the world, um, just in our current times, Mm -hmm. thinking about how we can enhance our uh, appreciation of how the Qur'an is interpreted. And how to implement it in the best of ways with everything going on in the world nowadays. So I'll just, I'll I'll shoot off with the first question. Um, It's quite, you know, uh, generic. What is the importance of the Qur'an in Islam? Well, the Qur'an is everything. Um, And I think that you know, the fact that we have to ask this question, it's not a crit- critique of the question. It is actually a reality that Muslims often lose sight of just how central the Qur'an is. The Qur'an is um, Allah's speech. It is His communication with us. It is His guidance for us. Um, it is the the final book that was revealed in a series of scriptures that were given to humanity. Uh, it is the final word and it is the ultimate guidance and it was revealed upon the final messenger وسلم, who embodied its teachings who implemented it who explained it through his words and through his actions and that's why we have also the sunnah and the hadith which we use to help to understand the Quran and to provide details about how we uh, how we implement its rulings and its teachings mm-hmm. So the Quran really Is at the centre of things It is the source of our belief It is the source of our law It is the source of our ethics And our morals, our character Our spirituality And even our culture And that is a reality um, In how the Muslim community And Muslim reality has developed But also 
it is an aspiration that we have to go back to the Quran more and more that we have to make it the center point of our own exploration as believers and also in how we present the faith to others how do we teach our fellow Muslims young sure. people the next generation and also how do we uh, present those teachings to the rest of the world inshallah um, so I mean obviously there's a lot of listeners out there including myself um, whose Arabic isn't great so when we're reading the Quran maybe we can pick up the few odd words um, and maybe try and make sense of a particular ayat um, now there's lots of translations out there mm-hmm. um, and you know speaking from experience I've tried to look for the best of translation Qur'ans that the English is not like as you know like O oh and ye and you know it's, sometimes it can yeah. be but you know uh, trying to make sense or trying to get your heart um, you know completely into uh, reading the Qur'an when you're trying to understand the English now in your opinion what would be the best translation of Qur'an that you've read that perhaps listeners could go out and, and buy or purchase that think right this this would be quite good to read well uh, for me i i tend not to specify one translation because there are lots of people say the quran cannot be translated i don't fully agree with that statement because of course the quran has been translated many many times um if maybe hundreds of times um but each translation is an attempt of somebody to convey the meaning and they will make different choices about how they do that so some of them were using the old sort of ye, ye thou kind of language and some of that is because it was written a long time ago mm-hmm. or because they want to convey a certain grandeur that is familiar to readers of the bible especially the the king james uh, version of the bible which is familiar to certain types of readers uh, whereas other people you know, saw that, well, we need to make it very clear, very simple, down to earth for young people, for people who are not used to literary works. Mm-hmm. Um, so so each of these has got its merits. There are a few that I would say are important translations. One of them is by my own professor, who is um, my PhD supervisor, actually. It's Professor Muhammad Abdul Halim. This is, you know, the Abdul Halim translation, or it's the Oxford University Press translation. It's one of the clearest and um, best written in terms of flowing English and also in terms of its accuracy. Another one that I do like is um, done by um, a publisher called Sahih International. Um, This one is um, actually done by a team of women. Um, and what's good about that one is really that it's it's very literal. It's very um, its language it follows the kind of structure of the Arabic quite closely, and that's not always a good thing. But where it's good is if you're interested in looking closely at how each of the words um, is connected mm-hmm. between the Arabic and English, then there is a, you know a lot of connection between the structure of the two languages. Okay. Um, now, just to reiterate, can you buy these books off Amazon? I'm sure that you can, and yeah. at the same time, you know, all these things are online, whether uh-huh. some of them legitimately, some of them not so legitimately. Okay. But yeah. uh, I know we've got we've got IT guys in here trying to work, so it's fine if you hear a bit of shuffling and just ignore it. We'll they're just they're just making, making sure that the radio station keeps running. That's all. Excellent. <laughs> okay, so getting into sort of the nitty gritty of it, oh, I wanted to ask. Um, for female readers out there, um, first and foremost, can you handle the Qur'an without wudu? So, um, scholarship generally on this question uh, says that 
um, to handle a copy of the Quran. So we're talking about a mushaf. I've got one here in front of me, mm-hmm. um, you know, with its cover and uh, with its pages. So this is a physical copy of the Quran. Mm-hmm. To handle that and to hold that without wudu mm-hmm. is not allowed. And there are some evidences for that, um, especially from the hadith. Um, and some say also that the verse in the Quran which says لا يمسه إلا المطهرون none touch it except those who are purified mm-hmm. um, is often taken to refer to this ruling as well um, but um, to read the Quran without having to necessarily touch a copy uh, it is not necessary to have wudu so you could be um, you could be reading from memory reading off the internet you can or even that? the internet because you, you can't call you know if you're looking at Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes the, the the line is blurred, you know, whether mm-hmm. a phone takes the rulings of a mushaf or not in certain situations. But mm-hmm. for the most part, the phone is not um, it's not a copy of the Quran and doesn't have to be treated with the sanctity sure. of the Quran. So, just uh, obviously, technology nowadays, everyone's got iPhones and smartphones and you can get these Quran apps. So, for example, if you didn't have Wado, like what you described holding the Quran with the most, like the covering of it, mm. you can't actually uh, touch that. Without wudu, but if you had a another covering on it, you could hold it with a cloth or something. Yes. So, but if you had a mobile phone and you had a grand app and you did not have a screen cover on it, for example, like I've got a glass cover in mine, but if you didn't have it, it was just a phone itself. Can you then technically touch it if you weren't in a state of wudu? Well, at the end of the day, the phone the phone is not uh, the Quran. It's not a mushaf. Mm-hmm. Um, really, on some of these things, um, I'm sure that some scholars have definitely. Um, research the matter closely and debated the matter closely and come to mm-hmm. um, conclusions about this. Um, I would just like to emphasize that the purpose here is to respect and to glorify Allah's words and to sure. uh, and to treat it with the sanctity it deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, and intention has a large part in this as well. Um, if we feel that we, we are reading the Quran and we're doing an act of worship, um, and even if you're using your phone as as the the means to do that, then it would be a good thing to perform wudu and to respect the words in that way. But if it was not possible for you to do so, then inshallah, there's no harm in it. Inshallah, um, and just kind of leading on to that question for women that are menstruating, um, obviously in this month, wherever have you, and they can't read Quran, what is the best worship they can do? Um, in respect to the Quran. So the issue here pertains to um, not only touching the copy of the Qur'an but also reciting the Qur'an aloud mm-hmm. um, you know, as an act of worship is, um, is not to be done in, in the state of ritual impurity, in major ritual impurity um, which applies to menses as it applies also um, to men under certain situations which you know but the point is that um, in those situations a person can still read, uh, you know, um, books or you know Islamic books. They can still remember Allah and mention Allah's names. Um, they can still uh, worship through remembrance of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, um, and even they can touch books which are not uh, the Quran itself. Like for example, if someone wanted to read a book of Tafsir, mm-hmm. and it contains ayahs of the Quran, but it's not, um, you know, just ayahs of the Quran. It's not majority ayahs of the Quran, but it's more filled with you know writing explanation commentary then touching that is also 
uh, valid and allowed. Inshallah. Um, now, we all have our daily stresses of life. Um, some of us have health problems, uh, wealth problems. You know, some people can't have children. You know, there's 101 issues that, you know, each and every one is trying to battle their own demons, as you want to say. Mm. Um, and how is the Quran, how can you use this as a healing? You know, I mean, mm. basically, how is the Quran a healing for mankind? So, this is a description that the Quran uses for itself. That it is shifa'un linnas or that is shifa' wa nunazilu min al Qur'ani ma huwa shifa'un wa rahmatun lil mu'mineen. So, especially for those who are believers, it is shifa'. For people who turn away from it and reject it, disbelieve in it, then it can't have that healing effect. Mm. But um, the healing is both on a physical level and, of course, on a spiritual level. And I would say even beyond that, into a, a societal level or a communal level. So on a physical level, there are instances known in the in the life of the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba and those after them, and even today, where if somebody is uh, experiencing some illness or pain, the Qur'an may be recited over them, such as Surah Al-Fatiha or other surahs, mm, yeah. and this can be a healing for them in that situation. Secondly, it is a healing for our, um, our you know, wrong beliefs that we have, it heals us from those. Uh, misapprehensions and maybe weakness of faith is all things that we need healing from. And mm. the Qur'an increases our faith and that's healing yeah. as well. So, um, and In addition to that, it's healing for our communities, it's healing for our societies. When we act by its uh, teachings, then we are also healing the wounds in our, you know, in our, in our families, in our communities and in our world. So, just kind of moving on from that, uh, moving towards that, if in times of stress or financial difficulty, uh, what is the best thing to read in those times? I mean, you have your you have yeah. your odd surah here and there, but if you, I mean, as in like an ayat, like for example, um, you know, the, the du'as of uh, the Prophet, for example, Yunus, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. You have these thoughts, but what, what about a particular surah, for example, if you're in times of stress or financial difficulty, what could you advise to read on that? I would say that, um, you know, th- there's a difference between reading with understanding and reading without understanding. Mm. The first thing is that in, in order for the Qur'an to be allowed to do its full healing effect, we have to read it with understanding. We have to reflect on what we are reading. We have to think about how it applies to us and how we can apply it. Um, so if that means using translation, then that's absolutely fine. Um, and, you know, reading the words of the Qur'an in Arabic along with translation, this is the ideal because then we get the healing effect of, of the words, the speech, which is divine speech, and also the meanings which can then impact upon us. So after that... Um, one could recite anything in any situation mm-hmm. uh, that he or she chooses, and there's no um, there's no necessity for it to be a specific surah for a specific situation. Sure. Uh, but certainly, uh, the scholars and righteous people have often identified specific things. But this is, I, I feel, it's a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when scholars are saying, in this situation, for example, if you are worried or you are d- uh, distressed or depressed, then recite Surah Yusuf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're looking at the meanings there. They're looking at how the story of Prophet Yusuf uh, you know, it goes into the into the the pits, you know, literally in the depths of the well, and then, you know, how Allah 
plans for, for Yusuf al-Islam until everything turns out in the most glorious way. How his father was, you know, distressed to the extent that his, you know, eyes turned white and he went blind until uh, Allah uh, provided the way out for him. You know, these stories in the Quran of uh, of the prophets and of the righteous people are, are things which remind us and comfort us just as they did for the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam as they were being revealed to him. They actually had that function among others to comfort him and reassure him and uplift him to guide him, to strengthen his heart, to strengthen his iman, uh, wasallam. So they can do that likewise for, for all the believers. So, you know, if you find a specific list that tells you, read this for this reason, this for that reason, mm-hmm. then by all means you can follow that, but it's not uh, it's not limited to that in any way. Sure, of course. Any personal experience, Sid? Anything you think you've read? Like if you're feeling a specific thing and you felt, oh, that's been quite good for me. With the Quran, I think for me, um, Surah Mulk. Yeah. I read that and I read that quite regularly to the extent that my dad made us um, memorise it. Good. Alhamdulillah. Um, So I think that one, just just purely because of the benefits that I've heard, obviously, that. Protection of the grave. Yeah. Yeah. Associated with it. So Mm -hmm. that's probably the most. One that everyone. Yeah. uh, Most quite common. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tend to read just the short surahs in the last bara. Uh, for yeah. example, sort of feel or you know your daily ones you generally read. Anyway, you know, I think the ones that you know your your four goals that you read and yeah, of course in the last row of Surah Bakra. But I think I had actually an intention eh, of learning the first ten ayats of Surah Kaf. Okay, wow, well, yeah. Was that from protection with the jaw? Yeah, of course. And I thought this year in the Ramadan I'm going to do it. Because um, I think, you know, signs are everywhere towards the end of days. And I thought, it's just a matter of time before he appears. <laughs> I think just I think there's general recitation yeah. of the Quran as well. Like what I try and do in Ramadan is, mm-hmm. whatever day of Ramadan it is, I try and read the equivalent. Um, oh, good number of pages. Yeah, no, 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 the equivalent. Spira, so for example, one, two, three. So till by the end of Ramadan, I've completed Good, Quran. alhamdulillah. Well, I have to say, I've not been uh, 100% dedicated, but inshallah, I've been so busy with work and kind of feel bad. But this is why I'm here, because the Sheikh will sort of inspire me to make an extra effort, inshallah. So a couple of other questions, Sheikh, um, I wanted to ask you. Um, I mean, is there any significance of places of prostration in the Quran? Yes, so we have a number of um, ayahs in the Quran that have been designated as... Um, ayahs of prostration or verses of prostration um, and those things, um, you know, there's around 14 of them and there's a little bit of um, a difference of opinion on, on a few of these junctures um, and they are always, uh, in terms of meaning they are related to the concept of prostration and there's some connection in the meaning of the ayah um, that we are that we are supposed to make prostration, and why do those people not prostrate when the Quran is recited to them? Those unbelievers do not prostrate. So, as believers, we are responding to that, um, and this is you know from the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ to do so, that we would actually prostrate at at, the, at that point. Inshallah. Even in one situation, and I said that the the Quran is healing for the believers, but that doesn't mean it only has effect upon the believers. Um, even there was a, a, an occasion that is narrated in the seerah that the Prophet ﷺ recited Surah Al-Najm upon people who were gathering and plotting in order to, uh, you know, they were opposing him, and he recited Surah Al-Najm uh, to them. And the last ayah of Surah Al-Najm is a prostration verse, and when he recited that, they all fell prostrate because mm-hmm. just the power of the Quran upon them and bear in mind that they are uh, masters of the Arabic language they 
they heard it, they understood it. The whole of the surah impacted upon them and it climaxed with them falling prostrate. Um, and then presumably they were quite shocked at what they have just done. Like I think you can always tell um, people that understand the meaning because you can tell the feeling behind it when, when they're reciting. Yeah, read with conviction, and that's it, I think. Having a really deep discussion about the Quran and Islam, um, reading it, etiquettes, manners, surahs, anything at all about the Quran. Um, we've got Sheikh uh, Suhaib Said in with us today, myself and Sidra. And again, if you have any questions about it at all, anything that you feel that you maybe want to have a quick, um, you know, clarification on anything at all, give us a call in on said number. <laughs> Zero one four one three seven five three four three four. Good for math teachers. Expect me to know the number, wouldn't I? Right. Anyway, so let's get back into um, a bit of our discussion about the Quran. Um, you know, to speak about the respect for the Quran. And you know, I'm not going to you know go to discuss any religions or I mean any countries or cultures as such. But there's some people disrespect the Quran by putting it on the floor or turning their backs to it. Is this wrong? So, as we said before, there is um, you know we are expected to show respect to the Quran even in its you know physical manifestation you know as a book. Um, and placing it on the floor would you know generally be seen as disrespect turning back i'm not so sure the point is that these are culturally sensitive issues you know yeah. what is considered respectful or disrespectful can vary from culture to culture um, but i think it would be pretty universally seen that you know the floor is 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 dirty we walk on it so to place it on the floor um should be avoided um again th there could be just you know, some details or nuances in saying that, you know, maybe a situation where somebody is reading it and then they momentarily put it to one side and they're in the masjid and it's all clean. You know, we don't jump to condemn everything because people sometimes do overreact to um, to things that they see as disrespect when if the intention of disrespect is not there, then at most we can say um, it is contrary to the best way of acting towards, um, you know, the copies of Qur'an. Placing it on the floor, I mean, I just heard a story uh, the other day that uh, one of the scholars of the Qur'an, Muhammad al-Amin al-Shinqiti, who's the author of a famous tafsir of the Qur'an in the 20th century, uh, he was once in the masjid and he saw someone come in and um, I think he was praying at the time, the sheikh was praying at the time and he saw someone come in and he put the Qur'an down and then on the floor and he put his, like, his sandals on top of the, the Qur'an which is kind of like amazing to even imagine this happening, but um, may maybe he'd kind of folded his hands or they, they were in a bag or so. Let's try to make it not as bad as it sounds. Mm -hmm. um, so the sheikh, you know, even while he was praying, he, he, he reached over and lifted up the, you know, the, yeah. or he I can't remember, maybe he lifted the Quran, you know, to remove it from that situation. And when the, the, the sheikh, uh, you know, had finished, then the, the man asked him, like, why did you do that? You know, is it disrespectful to the Quran to, to place it on the floor? So the sheikh, instead of answering, he just took the man's shoes and placed them on the man's head. Uh. And the man was like, what, what the hell are you doing? He said, well, if, if you feel it's disrespectful to you, then it's disrespectful also uh, to the Qur'an. So good, I like that metaphor. That's a good one. Um, so I guess putting on the floor um, is not 
you shouldn't keep it into a high place. Just give it respect. I think, that, I think in a lot in our homes, anyway, in our culture, we've always been brought up and saying, you know, make sure your hands are clean, you're in wado, your grand's not on the floor, it's in a high place. But not in a high place, it's gathering dust, you know, <laughs> so you forget about it. And Sidra, you, you touched upon a very good point uh, just in the ad break there. Go on, I'll let you, I'll let you overtake. What? I was just, we were just discussing in the ad break how, um, and myself included, you remember the Quran a lot more during Ramadan than you do during the whole year um, and just it's 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 mm-hmm. sad and it's upsetting during Ramadan when you think about it because in Ramadan you find so much more time to take out and read the Quran and during because the you know that everyone knows the rewards are more to read it so like yeah let's read exactly. the Quran and you know uh, go to Tarawih etc etc so yeah. okay so um, they're saying that you know is it true that the Quran will be brought to life on the day of judgment as a witness like you hear these stories, like I don't know where they're culture based, you know, like you have Auntie Jesus or somebody say, you know, if you don't read Quran in Punjabi on the day, you know, when you die in the grave, the Quran will become a beautiful man, or on the day of judgment it becomes. I mean, can you clarify, is there any sort of supporting hadith to this, or is there anything um, in any of the hadith books or anything like that at all? Um, I, I'm not sure specifically which hadith we may be referring to here. Um, I will not rule that out because really. There are lots of um, descriptions of the Day of Judgment which, um, which in some way or another um, personify different things that we consider to be objects or inanimate. You know, even the descriptions of the Day of Judgment uh, concerning what, what the sky will do and the earth will do and the earth will throw out her burden or her load even mm-hmm. as if the earth was, was uh, you know, a pregnant uh, female. Um, all these descriptions, you know, and even how your own... Uh, you know, your, your hands and feet and skin will testify, and so uh, the Quran also is, as the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Hujjatan lak aw alik." It's it is going to be acting as a proof for you or against you. Yeah. Um, so does that mean that the Quran will will come and speak? You know, this is all within the realms of possibility and within the realms of also um, the nature of of things at the Day of Judgment. Um, when a person will be told, um, you know, someone who was reciting the Qur'an a lot in this life, and, you know, to recite the Qur'an a lot, you can't really fit, you know, your whole lifetime, you can't fit a lot of Qur'an into just one month of the year. That's one-twelfth of your time. You've got, you know, 12 times that amount um, in your life. If you use the other months to recite and to recite, to memorize as well, mm-hmm. because it will be said to the memorizer of the Quran, uh, recite and rise. Uh, the memorizer of the Quran will be uh, told to recite and he or she will continue to recite until they come to the last letter that they recite, that will be their station in paradise. As they recite, they rise and rise. So all of these things are going to happen the day of judgment. The Quran is central to that. And the Quran is also our window window onto those realities. So, sorry, Nicholas. I was going to say, Sheikh, does it work if you recite the Quran not in Arabic? So, say you recite the the seer of the Quran, does it does it work equally, or do you have to recite the Arabic part of the Quran for? So, as as we we want to connect with the the Arabic words of the Quran, being the actual words of revelation, and they contain the you know that aspect of the miracle of the Quran but the Quran is a miracle also in its meanings um, and we would be doing injustice to ourselves if we only recited the Arabic without understanding what we are reading so really we have to find a happy balance between these two priorities in our lives 
Okay. Inshallah. Um, I mean, that was, was another question I had. So, for example, if you memorise a part of the Quran and you forgot it, you're in trouble then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there are some... Uh, there is a hadith which discourages this issue of forgetting the Quran, but um, it is not referring to somebody who, in all good intention, memorised something and then didn't manage to revise it enough and then ended up forgetting. Um the last thing that we want is for anything to be a discouragement from actually memorizing the Qur'an. Because there are people who say, uh, I'm really interested to memorize the Qur'an, but I fear that I'm going to forget it, so I'm not going to memorize the Qur'an. This it's is, not really an excuse. Yeah. It's, a, it's a misunderstanding, really, of the, of the issue. Um, also, forgetting, you know, the word forgetting in the, in the Qur'an and also the hadith can, can mean also abandoning rejecting, turning away from, mm. rather than just, you know, something goes from your memory for a period of time, you can bring it back. Um, so the same thing applies also to the, the kind of forms of respect that we were describing. If those forms of respect, um, you know, cause us to become distant from the Qur'an, then we've missed the point. So yeah. if placing it in a high place, on a high shelf, as you said, gathering dust, mm -hmm. You know, this is worse than having it on a lower shelf, you know, and there's some other books that are above it, yeah. but you're reciting it every day. Yeah. Which of these situations is worse? Obviously, it is being distant from the Qur'an that is worse. Um, we should combine the respect and signs of respect with actual engagement and, and making that effort to connect with the Qur'an. So to, what you're saying, inshallah, is that we should, as humans, um, try to make the effort to read the Qur'an even one page a day, or even after Ramadan, try and maintain it and read as much Qur'an as possible. Um, I, think, I think what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and pick a time of the day and I'm just going to try and make it a repetition. That that's, that's I think it's in the summer. Say. I tend to read it after Asr. After Asr, because you're back from work. You know, um, you're a bit relaxed, read it after Usr. And then the winter, I generally read it, um, there's a short time frame between Maghrib and Isha anyway. So after Maghrib, we used to read it, and then I would do other whatever and I start mean, Is there any particular time of the day that is recommended to read it more than others? Any time of the day. Yeah. But there are some times which are um, especially recommended for dhikr. And, but dhikr is at all times, but there are certain, you know, the morning and the evening. Or fajr, yeah. If you say morning and evening, this encompasses, you know, most of the day. You know, most of the day is either in that extended period of morning, you know, or, you know, towards the evening. So, Here I've got a question just coming. It's not actually on the list. It's just a personal question. If you were reading, for example, uh, you did Nia of, you know, Turgat Nafal, um, and could you possibly, you know, take the Quran out? Like after your, because I don't know the Quran off by heart, could I, and I had the intention of reading a part of Surah Al-Baqarah, after my Surah Fatiha, could I possibly take the Quran out and standing and reading it? And then when I'm about to do my prostrations, just put it down at the side and do my prostrations, stand back up and pick up the Quran and read it. Can I do that? Inshallah, in your, in your personal Nafal prayers, there should be no um, controversy about that. Sure. Um, there's different opinions when it comes to like taraweeh and for example yeah. uh, some scholars are more lenient about that the imam mm -hmm. reading from you know a, a mushaf uh, some uh, don't allow it at all um, and generally also people um, you know it's become quite common for people to kind of stand behind the imam with copies of the Quran and um, there's also different attitudes towards that um, you know 
one should probably be really more engaged with listening to the Quran when you're standing in prayer yeah rather than reading it which is something you do you know from the from the written copy you do that in your own time or afterwards or before I think last year when I was um, I was blessed to be in Medina last year and um, during the last 10 days of Ramadan and um, obviously you know the the Imam was reading but there was a lot of women that were much they had their grands out and mm-hmm. they were falling through the grands and they were they were off from all parts of the world obviously from Pakistani Somali and Arab, they all had their Qurans out in their reading. Uh, but at the same time, like they said, like I said, when they, when they went in for sujood, mm-hmm. they put their Qur'an down and... and went in, they went, yeah, so... I think it's it nice... Is, it's, it is that uniformity there, which is beautiful. There's but you know, sometimes, because the, the, the Salah there, after that, they did another Salah in the in the um, early hours of the morning. And it went on for ages. And sometimes you were so exhausted that actually reading the Qur'an while the Imam was uh, saying it actually kept you alert and you were reading as you were going along so it was actually a bit more con- yeah, yeah you know what I mean you got your heart in it a bit more instead <laughs> of it's true for, yeah. for me really I, I mm. think it's a different form of worship you know reading from the Mus'haf is one worship yeah and standing in Salah is a different, different worship yeah. of course and yeah. um, don't take that as a fatwa because I don't do fatwas but uh-huh. um, that's my personal take on it Okay. Do you have a question? We have two questions from our listeners. Brilliant. Um, one is from a sister who's asked, can you read the Quran off by heart um, whilst menstruating? Um, in terms of reciting aloud, mm-hmm. then no. Okay. But in terms of just reciting within your own heart, you know, then that's fine. That's fine. And I had a second one which said, uh, I may mispronounce this, but explain the makama in the Quran recitation What's the best and easiest way to learn it? So there's something, um, you know, first of all, the Prophet ﷺ said that, uh, you know, beautify the Qur'an with your voices. And another, you know, version of the hadith, beautify your voices with the Qur'an. Um, so there are a number of um, hadiths pertaining to this. And we know that reciting the Qur'an beautifully, um, you know, in, in good measure, not too fast and also not too slow, um, these are all recommended. In terms of using melody in recitation, um, to use kind of tones or, or tunes, or people might want to use different words here. Um, one way that has become uh, quite common is to use the Arabic maqamat, or these maqamat are kind of melodic scales. Mm-hmm. Um, you can hear that most clearly if you would to listen to the Egyptian um Reciters and the Egyptian school of recitation, where they uh, vary different maqamat. So they might start with uh, a certain maqam and then they switch, and certain maqams are more um, suited to the sadness of a particular ayah, or another one to the joy at uh, you know entering paradise has a certain maqam that suits it, um, or a certain grandeur, or certain um, different kind of emotions and moods which are conveyed by different melodic scales. Uh, so basically, um, to recite in, in any one of these melodies or to vary between them is all um, legitimate and valid um, as long as the rules of Tajweed are observed. So the rules of Tajweed are regarding how the letters are pronounced and the lengths and durations. Uh, so, uh, for example, you have certain things called a mud, so certain vowels are lengthened to four counts or five or six, and some of them are just two or just one. And 
what happens sometimes is when people get too caught up in the melodic aspect, they get carried away, yeah. and the rules of Tajweed are violated <coughs> or, or, or bent to the purpose of fulfilling the melody. So as long as that doesn't happen, then reciting in various melodies is legitimate. As for how to learn it, um, you know, listening to those reciters, especially Egyptian reciters, you can learn it sort of um, instinctively without necessarily knowing the names of them. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to learn the names of it and so on, there are all sorts of YouTube tutorials now. Just type in Maqamat and you'll find it. Awesome. Okay, again, another personal question. I just remembered, um, one, I was reading the Quran one time and uh, I remember somebody saying to me that, and I wasn't moving my lips at all, I was just reading it, as you do, and she go, the lady said to me that you have to read, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but you have to read and show that your lips are moving. So if we wanted to call it qira'ah, mm-hmm. qira'ah of the Qur'an or tilawa of the Qur'an mm-hmm. um, implies that you are using your voice in some way, even if doing it quietly. So when we're uh, doing our salah, then it is important that you know if you're praying by yourself or you're leading others in prayer, um, then you're supposed to recite the Qur'an. Um, there's difference of opinion regarding being behind an imam and do you recite the fatiha behind the imam or not so in the Hanafi school you don't recite because the imam's recitation is sufficient for everyone um, in other schools um, you do recite as well so when it comes to things that you have to recite um, that does imply that you use your your actual you know vocal cords in some way even if quietly um, otherwise you know we can call that looking at the Qur'an and, you know, reading in another sense, you know, just, but the word qira'a wouldn't really apply to it in, sure. in that situation. Um, it's all, all these questions are coming back to me now. <laughs> just conversation, I know. See, when I was at university back in the day, um, I remember there was, uh, there was um, somebody had come from the United States and it was a guy who had written, it was called the Furqan. Don't know if you remember this or you've yes, heard of it. Do yes, you remember it? Yes. Uh, the guy, a guy came and he, it was a Quran that he had written. Now, how can you, I, don't, I'm, I suppose this is for new Muslims, how can you identify uh, what is uh, a Quran that's, I don't know, it's terrible to say, but a fake Quran from a real Quran? Uh, just, just get the Quran from any reputable source from yeah. a masjid or an Islamic bookstore? I, or I've heard what of Quran with a K. They say sometimes a Quran with a K. Uh, it doesn't matter how it's spelt, but yeah. this person, he's a Christian uh, evangelist, yeah. and he uh, he made a book which he wanted to kind of spread and catch on. And, um, you know, Muslims can be quite quite daft when it comes to uh, spreading rumours and what happens is that <laughs> the, only yeah, re- very much so. the only reason that we heard about it is because Muslims started spreading the link and saying don't read this book it's a fake Quran and of course everyone wanted to read well, it it's, yeah. well, in, any, in any case uh, I think um, Dr. Shabir Ali had a good uh, rebuttal to this and he said um, you know, he picked up the Quran and said, "Look, the first thing the Quran says is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim in the name of God, most gracious, most merciful." Mm-hmm. And when I pick up your book, the first thing it says is, mm-hmm. "All rights are reserved, copyright." I remember that. I was at the. Cor- I was at that. It, it was, was here in Glasgow. Yeah, Glasgow. Uni. It was a. It was a good argument they had. Yeah, for, yeah it was fantastic. It must have been just before my time. 
Yeah, maybe I'm not that old. <laughs> right, so um, is there anything else that you think maybe uh, the listeners out there could benefit from, especially in this blessed month, that how we could benefit by reading? The, what what could we get out of the Quran? What could we do with the Quran to get the best reward? I mean, because not all of us are Arabic literate. And what could we do in terms of benefit? I mean, we're reading it, but what else could we do with, with, um, with addition to reading it? So I think it's very important to have your own um, direct engagement and personal connection to the Qur'an, um, to do your own worship with the Qur'an. Um, but in addition to that, we can also um, we can listen to lectures, for example. Um, I work with an institute called Bayina Institute, um, and we have a very famous um, you know, head of our organization called Noman Ali Khan. And yeah, he, he's, um, he's really good. You know, very popular teacher of the Quran. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got many, many lectures um, which can be found on, on YouTube and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, if you happen to be a subscriber to Bayina TV, there is also an ongoing effort this month, which I'm involved in behind the scenes, mm-hmm. um, to cover one surah every day. Mm-hmm. So... Tonight he is presenting uh, the second half of Surah Al-Fajr and then tomorrow Surah Al-Balad and this is all being uploaded onto our um, subscription channel as well. Is that on Facebook? I don't wonder if I'd seen it on Facebook, no. Well, on Facebook uh, there are some excerpts and some clips which are coming out. So, in any case, um, you know, this is just an example. You might have other speakers and other uh, lecturers that you prefer and they could be in different languages. You might like uh, the Urdu lectures, Dr. Isar Ahmed, Dr. Farid Hajmi, just a few examples. Um, You know, listening to that is very easy. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've done a lot of work for you. They are making it easy for you. Mm -hmm. You can listen on the go and, you know, when you're fasting, your, maybe your eyes are tired, but your ears might be able to cope with more. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So listen to something which can enrich your appreciation of what the Quran is telling us and the message Inshallah. it has for us and the Inshallah. guidance it has. Jazakallah khair, uh, Sheikh's website. It's been a pleasure having you in and with your founder of knowledge that you gave us today. I hope the listeners out there in Glasgow, you guys benefited from this past hour with myself, uh, Sheikh and... <laughs> Definitely, Sidra, yeah. Um, and, you know, if you have any other questions, you're more than welcome to kind of message in. I mean, I mean, our listeners can also call in, leave the messages with the reception, yep, and yep. we'll pick them up. Definitely. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.